just started. It's the second day, I guess, of the feast, and we have uh, many, many, well, not many, many more, but several more days uh, planned, and, and uh, I think you'll uh, enjoy the feast. wanted to extend a uh, special invite also, welcome to, to Bishop Peter and, and um, Elder uh, Paul. They, uh, they're, they're all the way from Kenya, by the way, and, and, and his wife. I, it, it really is uh, great having them with us during this feast. I think I saw their reservation come through earlier, and I said, that can't be the uh, Bishop Peter I know. They're in, they're in Kenya. And then I saw him here, so, so good to have you with us in this feast. Well, today I want to talk about one of the greatest stories we find within Scripture, and that is the story of Joseph. You know, as we see in the Word, Joseph suffered from many trials, but in the end was blessed beyond measure. And there's so many lessons we learn from this man's life. And I hope that after I'm done today that not only will we have a deeper appreciation for this story, but that we'll also be able to apply some of the lessons we find within it. So here's a summary of some of the items we're going to review today in this message. We're going to review Joseph's dreams and also the division that it caused between him and his brothers. We're going to see how he was sold into slavery, but even overcame in those odds. We're going to find his rise and fall with a man named Potiphar. We're going to see how he prospered even while in prison. Nothing stopped this man, and that's one of the lessons we see. And lastly, we're going to see, and we're going to find one of the greatest examples of forgiveness we find within Scripture. Kind of gets me choked up sometimes reading the story. The forgiveness that we'll see from Joseph and his brothers after all that had occurred. It really is a phenomenal story. There's phenomenal lessons within it. So let's jump into Genesis 37. And for the most part, you're going to have to take your Bibles out on this one here. I do have some excerpts on the slide here. But we're going to start with Genesis 37 and verse 5. We're going to do quite a bit of reading today, so be prepared for uh, that. So uh, 5 through 11. It says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Of course, we know that there was already animosity and bitterness with his brothers. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaths in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obedience to my sheaf. So they bowed before his sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream. More, and, uh, more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience. Uh, they, they bowed to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my and thy mother and Thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? 
And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Before the talk about what we find within this passage, I want to remind everybody what we know from the story. We know that there was already hatred and bitterness between Joseph and his brothers. We all remember the coat in many colors that Jacob, his father, made for Joseph. His father always had a favoritism toward Joseph. So you can only imagine the hatred and the bitterness and the animosity that these dreams caused. They grew this hatred and bitterness. So what do we see in these dreams? Or in the first dream, we find that they were all binding sheaths. Joseph's sheaths stood upright, and the other sheaths bowed before him. Now, the meaning of the second dream was the same, but different imagery. Instead of the sheaths of grain, we find that that the family was represented by the sun, moon, and stars. And again, they bowed before Joseph. As um, I've already mentioned, his brothers hated him that much more because of these dreams. At one point, we see here that even his father rebuked him. His father had an issue with these dreams. Although near the end, it says there that his father observed. His father observed the saying. You know, for me, this shows that Even though his father rebuked him, he was not dismissive of the meaning. He was not dismissive of what Joseph communicated through these dreams. So what are some of the key takeaway points? What are some of the lessons we can learn from this story? Number one, we should not be dismissive or envious when Yahweh is working with another person. I believe that's a lesson we find here, that we should not be envious when we're working, when Yahweh is working with somebody else. We're not to allow that person's past to ignore what Yahweh might be doing with them now I've seen some pretty awful people Yahweh turn them around and Yahweh use them in a great way you know an example of this is the apostle Paul this man went from being one of the greatest persecutors of the Messiah of the assembly we know that he threw people into prison for simply worshiping and honoring and acknowledging the Messiah and yet in the end we also know that this man became one of the greatest advocates He was an apostle. He was a minister. He was an advocate for the good news. But again, before this, he was a persecutor. So it's important to realize when Yahweh is working with somebody and not to be envious of that position. That's one of the lessons we find here. Again, as I've already mentioned, there was animosity between Joseph and his brothers. Surely, Joseph could have waited to share these dreams, or maybe share them in a different way. And I think that's another lesson here, although I do believe in this instance it was Yahweh's will. But one of the lessons from this story is that there's a time and place to share news. Sometimes we share news in the, at, a, at a wrong time. Sometimes we share news in a wrong way, when we should be cognizant of how we should be sharing those news, that news. Sometimes we need to be cognizant of the words we use. Or sometimes we need to be aware of maybe this is not the right time to share that news. So again, I think that's another lesson we find here from Joseph, find here from this specific story. That we need to be aware of what we're communicating, when we're communicating that message. And that's a great lesson, by the way, for evangelism. That's a great lesson for relationships in general. For those married, you know, sometimes it's not a good opportunity. It's not a good time to share that with our spouse. Or maybe it's the words we use. 
So again, this is a very valuable lesson. But again, in this case, we know that it was Yahweh's will, I believe, that this was shared, even though this only fueled the hatred between Joseph and his brothers. Now, we also know from the story, because of this hatred, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Let's read about this incident. So Genesis 37, and we're going to begin there with verse 23. So Genesis 37, 23 through 36. We're going to read quite a bit here. Genesis 20, 37, 23 through 36. So verse 23 says, And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. You know, this was done because of the envy, by the way. I'm sure this was done because of the envy. They immediately removed this robe, which represented the favoritism of his father. This was done on purpose. This was done deliberately. And this was done as a message to Joseph. They removed this coat, which again represented the favoritism showed, shown by his father. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? He was trying throughout this time to convince his brothers not to do any harm to their brother, Joseph. I think he understood what they, what they were doing was wrong. Verse 27, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. They were okay with that plan. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they bought Joseph, brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. He thought something bad had happened to his brother. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not and I, whither shall I go? And he took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Now know whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Joseph rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son's mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, a captain of the guard. We find that Joseph's brothers here threw him into a pit, not knowing what to do with him. But their envy had grown to such a point that they no longer would have Joseph within their company. In the end, we find that they agreed, instead of killing their brother, 
that they would sell him to this Ishmaelite caravan. Keep in mind that this was all because of their jealousy. This was all because of their envy. And this is where envy leads, by the way. This is why, as believers, we should not be jealous. We should not be envious. Because if we're envious and if we're jealous and if we allow bitterness, these things can happen. We can seek retribution unjustly. They had no justification for what they did, but they did it because of their envy and jealousy that they had for their brother. This is one example showing why, again, it's not a good idea for a parent to show favoritism to their children. It does breed contention. Now, in this case, maybe perhaps it was Yahweh's will. Maybe it was Yahweh's desire was ordained by him, but generally speaking, this is not a good idea. Now, who were the Ishmaelites? Well, the Ishmaelites were the descendants of Ishmael, and Ishmael was the first son of Abraham. So we find here that his brothers were selling him into slavery to his own descendants, if we trace the family connection. Eventually, we know that Joseph was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar in the land of Egypt. And as we know, and as we see here, this man was an important man. He was captain of the guard over Pharaoh's army. He was a prestigious man. He was a respected man. He was a powerful man. And we find that now Joseph is within his house. Now, as we see in Genesis 39, verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4, we're going to find that Joseph prospered. Even though he was sold into slavery, we're going to find that against all odds, this man prospered greatly within this home of Potiphar. So verses 1 through 4 says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And Yahweh was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that Yahweh was with him. And this is a repeating theme, by the way, that observers, those from the outside, they see, they witness, they understand. There's something unique and evident that this man had Yahweh's favor. And he was made him overseer over his house and all that he had. He put him into his hand. So we see that Joseph prospered while serving under this man named Potiphar. Now, what was the reason for his prosperity? I think it's pretty obvious, but what was the reason for his prosperity? The answer is quite simple. He's pro- he prospered because Yahweh prospered him. Why did Yahweh prosper him? What was behind his prosperity? Yahweh prospered him because he was a man of integrity. And I know this is real simple, but it's such an important point. Joseph was blessed because Joseph was a man of integrity. And we're going to see that throughout this story. Joseph was blessed because he was a man of integrity. He obeyed his father in heaven. And because of these blessings, no matter what happened, Joseph always came out ahead. Now, it was not an easy road. We're going to see that. Joseph suffered tremendously. But Joseph was also blessed tremendously. And the reason he was blessed was because of his integrity. He followed Yahweh. He did not deviate outside the boundaries. He obeyed him. 
He kept the commandments. He did not compromise morally. He was ethically pure. He was a man of integrity. We're going to see this same pattern multiple times as we go through this amazing life. The life of Joseph. What are some of the lessons we learn here? Number one, we're to make the best of every situation. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was taken to a foreign land. And he was sold as a slave to a foreigner. To, again, a man named Potiphar. Now, Joseph could have become bitter. He could have become angry. He could have been defiant. But we see here that he was none of those things. We see no envy here. We see no bitterness here. We see no defiance here. Instead, he made the best of the situation and faithfully served with the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar realized, again, that this man was something special, that he had Yahweh's favor upon him. And because of this, it says that he put Joseph over his entire home. And this man was, again, a wealthy man. Number two, when we follow Yahweh, when we show that we are a person of integrity, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be blessed. When we show that we are willing to follow Yahweh's commandments, when we show that we are willing to follow him all the way. And again, halfway is never enough. We know the story of the Laodiceans, how Yahshua there says that because of your lukewarmness, because you're neither hot nor cold, he says, I'm going to spew you, I'm going to vomit you, I'm going to remove you from my mouth. So as a believer, we must serve Yahweh faithfully and completely. If we deviate, if we change, if we go halfway, that's never enough. And I've said many times over the years, if that's our plan, there's the door. Because we're wasting our time and we're wasting his time. If we're not willing to go all the way with his word, if we're not willing to really obey him as we should, we are wasting our time and we are wasting his time. If we're not in this for the long haul, if we're not willing to fully commit to him, we are wasting his time and we are wasting our time. Because at the end of the day, it does nobody any good to pursue Yahweh halfway. And we see here that Joseph, he was not a man who pursued Yahweh halfway. He was a man who fully pursued Yahweh, and he was blessed because of this. He was blessed because he fully, fully pursued, fully applied, fully followed and obeyed his Father in heaven. I believe that this applies to us as well. I also believe that this applies even to our relationships and our careers, being a person of honesty, of integrity. You know, I feel like I've been very blessed in my career. And I, I think there's a few reasons why. I just wanted to share this because I think this is good advice. No matter if it's religion or our faith, again, maybe our relationships or even our careers. Number one, I always try to put Yahweh first. Because of that, I believe I've been blessed. I've never had an issue with the Sabbath. I've never had an issue with the feast days. And one of the reasons why is, or number one, I think Yahweh's blessed me. But number two, I'm always very upfront. They know that my faith is the most important thing. My boss, he goes out of his way to say, I will cover for you. If I have to go for a feast day or a Sabbath, he never bothers me. He never calls me, no matter how the situation is. Because he respects my faith and he knows for me that's the most important thing in my life. He understands that work is secondary. He understands that I don't work that my life is not my work. 
Number two, I try to form good relationships within my life. This includes within the assembly. This includes within my marriage. This includes outside of the assembly. When you form good relationships with people, you will prosper. I believe that Joseph was able to form good relationships with Potiphar. This is important to form good relationships with people. And number three, I always try to be honest and upright in what I do. Now, I don't say I don't make my mistakes. I do. But I believe if we strive to be honest, if we strive to be a person of integrity, if we strive to be upright in what we do, that Yahweh's going to bless us and people will see that and we're going to be blessed because of it. Like Joseph, when we do these things, we're going to be blessed and prosper, even in challenging situations. And that's one of the lessons we see here. We know from the story, though, that things fell apart eventually between Joseph and Potiphar. An outside influence came in, disrupted that relationship. So let's read about that. We're going to read five through uh, verses 5 through 18 here. And we're going to go back to Genesis. Genesis 39, one more time. And let's see, make sure we're on the right slide still. Nope. Okay, Genesis 39 and uh, 5 through 18. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that Yahweh blessed the captain's house for Joseph's sake. And notice that he blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. For just a moment, let me deviate. Why were the Israelites blessed? Why did Yahweh call the Israelites? Why did Yahweh make a covenant with the Israelites? Well, if we go back to Deuteronomy 7, I'm not going to turn there. But there Yahweh makes it very clear that he made a covenant. He was faithful to his covenant because of a man named Abraham. Abraham was faithful, and because of that, Yahweh was faithful to him, but he was also faithful to his seed the generations that would come. So Yahweh blesses those that are amongst his people in many cases. And here we find that Yahweh blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. And the blessing of Yahweh was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, so he wasn't even concerned about what he had because he trusted Joseph. Because, again, Joseph showed himself to be a man of integrity. Save the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly, meaning a handsome person, and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. And he refused and said unto him, his master's wife, Behold, my master what if not what is with me in the house, and he commanded, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand? There is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Elohim? Notice he realized that doing this was far greater than a transgression against Potiphar. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. 
And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the man of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew. And for the record, the Israelites weren't real keen on the Hebrews. So they were certainly looked down upon as a race, as a ethnicity. Unto us to mock us, and came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And he came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she said, and she laid up his garment by her until his sovereign came home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. So in this passage, we find Potiphar's wife trying to seduce Joseph. We see here, Scripture says that he was a goodly man, or simply means that he was a handsome man. For this reason, Potiphar's wife was persistent. She continued to pursue him. But Joseph never gave in to her seduction. At one point, Joseph asked, how can I do this wickedness and sin against Elohim? Again, he realized that if he would have allowed this to happen, that it was not only a transgression against Potiphar, but it was a transgression against Yahweh himself. Reminds me of the story we find in the New Testament, Ananias, when he promised to give proceeds to the assembly. And the apostles pointed out, look, you have not lied to us. You have lied to Yahweh's Holy Spirit. You have lied to Yahweh. That's how serious this is. And he realized the grave sin that this would have been against, again, not only Potiphar, but against Yahweh himself. As we know, many men would have given it to Potiphar's wife, would have given into her seduction, but not Joseph. Again, he stood his ground. He would not allow himself to commit this immorality. He was a man of integrity. He followed Yahweh faithfully, as we should. In this case, we find that Potiphar's wife eventually found a situation. Nobody was in the home. They were all alone. She pursued him once more, grabbed his clothing. He fled, but he had that clothing. She then took that clothing to her husband and accused Joseph in inappropriate behavior. Now, as a result, we know that Joseph was thrown into prison. He was cast into prison for nothing he did. He was unjustly punished for nothing he did, no crime that he committed. Sounds a little bit like Yahshua in some ways. We know that Yahshua was accused of no crime that he committed. And here the same is true for Joseph. So I want to continue reading here, 19, 19 through 23. It says, And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me. 
that his wrath, his anger, he was upset, says was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. So this was a special prison where the king's servants were placed. And he was there in the prison, but Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was a doer of it. So again, Yahweh prospered this man in a great way. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because Yahweh was with him, and that which he had did, Yahweh made him prosper. So we find prosperity once more for Joseph. Does this sound familiar? This is the same pattern we've seen with the previous examples of this man. As Joseph prospered within the house of Potiphar, we find him prospering in a very unlikely place. We find him prospering even in prison. He prospered even in prison. All that was in the prison was given to Joseph. He oversaw all the prisoners. Everything that was in that prison, he was overseer of. What was the reason for this prosperity? Or again, the answer is simple. Yahweh blessed him because he obeyed and followed him. He was a man of integrity. He did the right thing even when that hard, that right thing was hard to do. Knowing how simple this concept is, it amazes me how many people knowingly, deliberately go the other way and are surprised when they are not blessed. How many people do you know, they ask, why am I not blessed? Why do these things happen in my life? Why am I suffering in this way? Or the answer normally is pretty simple. We are living a life of sin. We are living a life in opposition to the one we worship. When we go against our Father in heaven, there will be penalties and consequences for those decisions. As a person, we cannot always choose our circumstances. But we can choose the values we live by. And we can also choose how we will respond in those situations. So again, we can choose not always the situations we find ourselves in, but we can always choose the values we live by, the morals we live by, the integrity we live by, and how we will respond in those hard situations. And believe me, this is the difference between Joseph and the majority of those out there today. Many today, they crumble at the slightest challenge within their life. They compromise with the slightest challenge they face. Life is hard, and everybody at some point comes across hard situations. And the easiest thing to do in life is to simply do what Yahweh wants us to do. And sometimes that is hard to do. But when we do that, when we stand on principle, we will be blessed. When we stand on truth, when we stand on Yahweh's word, it is not complicated. Man makes it complicated by making excuses. But Yahweh's word is not complicated. Bad things happening, generally speaking, is not complicated. We complicate it because we want to reason ourselves out of it. But it is not complicated. Joseph lived by the values of Yahweh's word and never became bitter. Never became envious. Never became upset to the point of defying almighty Yahweh no matter what tribulation he suffered. He seemed to always do the right thing, even when that 
thing was, again, hard to do. I know some people who've had it pretty rough. We've all known people who've had it pretty rough. Whether poor health, bad financial situations, sometimes nothing they could have done. So some people have it pretty rough. But I don't know anyone who's been sold into slavery, taken from their homeland, accused of inappropriate behavior by a high-ranking official, and then thrown into prison. Joseph suffered tremendously. And I'm sure he had his moments of frustration. I'm sure he had his moments of anger. But again, he never allowed himself to become bitter. And that's such an important lesson for us. He never allowed himself to become bitter. I've seen where bad things happen in a person's life, and as a result, that person becomes very bitter. I've seen people leave assemblies because they've been burned and they become bitter. I encourage people, never blame Yahweh for man's failures. And never separate yourself from believers because of bad assemblies or bad leaders. Yahweh wants us to meet. Yahweh wants us to fellowship. That's the command. Yahweh says, don't, fake, don't forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together as a custom of some is. He wants us to meet. And yes, there are bad leaders. There are bad situations. There are compromise. And that's one reason why we're not a perfect assembly, I can assure you. But we try very hard to uphold truth. To uphold integrity. That's why we believe so strongly in marriage and leadership and the integrity of those institutions as we find within Scripture. I believe bitterness is a very dangerous emotion when allowed to remain. Bitterness can cause anger, frustration, hatred, which can lead to isolation and other destructive ends. No matter what we suffer in life, and again, I know many of us suffer. I'm sure we all know somebody who has suffered. It's important that we remain positive and devoted to Yahweh. Our sister, our late sister, Michelle Love, who uh, passed away here about a year ago, as long as I knew Sister Michelle, she suffered from serious health issues. She suffered horribly sometimes. But she was one of the most positive and devoted ladies sisters in the faith I knew. For those who knew her, she was a wonderful example of what it meant to be positive and devoted. She was a very, very devoted sister. No matter what the circumstances or how she was suffering. And there were days you could tell the pain was almost insurmountable. All the, at the end of the day, though, she realized when she looked toward the resurrection, she understood that there was something greater. She never allowed her pain or anguish to cause her to become bitter. And I think that's a great example that she left to those who knew Sister Michelle. I believe that like Joseph, she understood this hope, and this is why she never forsook Yahweh, even though she suffered tremendously. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 40, which speaks about the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. I will say this. We all know the story. Many of us, most of us know the story. Joseph was able to interpret these dreams, which led to the baker losing his life and the cupbearer being restored to his position. Now, in this passage, we also see that the uh, cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Joseph told him, don't, don't forget about me. 
where he forgot about Joseph. Like many, many people today, they, they just don't follow through. Some people who know me well know that one of the things I value more than anything else is commitment and follow through. I'd rather people not commit than not follow through. And I normally tell people that because then it comes back to me to do anyway. So if I ask and they say yes, the expectation is that they will do. But here we know from the story that this cupbearer that did not follow through, he forgot about Joseph, and Joseph there sat in prison waiting for something to happen. Where after some time, Pharaoh had himself two dreams. He looked far and wide for someone who could interpret these dreams, could find nobody, and eventually the baker remembered Joseph, remembered that Joseph was able to interpret these dreams for him and the baker, and eventually Pharaoh called Joseph out of prison. So I want to read this account. It's kind of a long account. Genesis 41. And we're going to read 1 through 32. So Genesis 41 and uh, 1 through 32. It came to pass at the end of the two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. Now, kine is simply a cow, that's what it's talking about there. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, so they were lean and in poor health, and stood by the other kine upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine. So Pharaoh awoke. So it was one dream. And he slept and had dreamed the second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good, and behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke and said, Behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. And all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Yahweh or unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. You see, again, he promised Joseph that he would remember him when he was restored. He promised, but he did not follow through with that promise. And that's another lesson for us, by the way. We need to follow through with our promises. When we commit, we follow through with that commitment. Verse 10 says, Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, put me in ward, and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And, he, and we dreamed a dream one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of the dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man's to each man according to his dream, he did interpret. 
And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was, me and me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and called him unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. Notice that. It is not in me. It is not my ability. It is not in me. Elohim shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. And behold, there came up of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed, and well-favored. And they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, and poor and very ill, favored, and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. It was really, really bad. I mean, these were just horrible cows to look upon, malnourished to, 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 to such a horrible extent. It says, And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. When they had eaten them up, uh, could not be known, for they had eaten them, for they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. So I awoke. So they received no nutrition from these cows. Verse 22, And I saw my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven ears withered, thin and blasted with the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears, and I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. Elohim hath to show to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one, and the seven thin and ill favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is a thing that I have spoken to defer. What Elohim is about to do, he showed unto Pharaoh. Behold, there came seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous or very great. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by Elohim, and Elohim will shortly bring it to pass. This was established, if you will, by two witnesses, by two dreams. You see, when Yahweh says something twice, we're to pay attention. And here Yahweh conveyed to Pharaoh twice, two dreams, the same message, the same occurrence, the same situation, the same future prediction, but two dreams, two witnesses of what would happen. And again, we find that this was done because Yahweh wanted to convey this to Pharaoh. He wanted Pharaoh to understand this. So we find... 
the uh, Pharaoh bringing Joseph out after him having these two dreams. He, he dreamed, again, this dream of fatted cows, and then these seven lean cows, and again, we see the same thing with these stalks of grain and how you had seven, this, uh, these, these uh, seven stalks of good grain, seven stalks of poor grain, and how the poor grain would devour the good grain, the healthy grain. Now, the meaning of the dreams were the same. Egypt would have seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. I want to point out a few things here. Most importantly, we find that Joseph does not take credit for the interpretation of this dream or these dreams. For me, this is an important point. For us, I believe this should be an important point. He told Pharaoh that it was Yahweh who gave him the interpretation. What quality do we find here from Joseph? What would we call this? How would we define this? We find Joseph showing humility by acknowledging that it was Yahweh who provided the interpretation. This is a great example of what it means to be humbled. Joseph could have taken all the credit for this. He could have said, I am wonderful, I am great, I am able to do all of these things. After all, he was the one who verbally gave the interpretation. He's the one who verbally told Pharaoh what would happen, the interpretation of these two dreams. There are some people out there that are more than happy to receive all the credit, even when they know others have helped in whatever it was. Over the years, I've said many times, if not for Yahweh, who knows where I would be? I really believe sincerely that if not for Yahweh in my life, I would not be where I'm at. And I would not have the peace in the blessings that I have now. I sincerely believe that by striving to follow Yahweh, and look, I made my, my mistakes too. By striving to follow Yahweh, I've been blessed. And it's because of him. It's because of him. Because I know without him, again, I would not be the person I am today. And it's so important that we humbly acknowledge that for all of us, that we recognize that Yahweh is the one who blesses us, that Yahweh is the one who, who puts us in positions of prosperity, that Yahweh is the one who, who we should be thanking, who we should be showing gratitude, no matter what it is, even the small things. There are so many things that we, especially in this nation, take for granted. If we have clean water, we should be very thankful. I'm sure our Kenyan brothers here can convey that and verify that for us. If we have clean water, we should be very thankful. If we had food to eat, nobody starves in this country. Nobody starves in this country, very few anyway. Most everybody has clean water, we have food, we have a nice place to lay our head. So many things to be thankful for. We should humbly, humbly recognize that fact. The other thing I want to point out here is the seven years of famine. As we know from the word, the tribulation will occur right before Yahshua's coming. It's going to be seven years right before Yahshua's coming. And we know that it's going to be seven years in duration. I believe the first three and a half years will be marked by the prophecies we find in the Olivet Prophecy and also in the Four Horsemen in Revelation 6. As we believe here, the Four Horsemen represents deception, war, famine, 
and disease or death. Now, the remaining three and a half years, this is when Yahweh will pour upon mankind his plagues upon this earth. And the Olivet Prophets that Yahshua defines and describes the greater tribulation this way. He says, for then it shall be greater tribulation, listen, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. I'm going to let that sink in for just a moment. Think about all the atrocities in the history of mankind. Think about all the fightings and all the the battles and all the wars and all the sufferings in the history of mankind. Yahshua says that there has never been a time, will never be a time, past or future, to what we will suffer and what we will see during the great tribulation, during this horrific three and a half years that we find within the word. It is going to be a time that's going to require great endurance, great endurance. And we're seeing things become very bad in this nation and really across the world. And it's time, if we're not already doing it, it's time that, we've, that, that we wake up and that we begin to prepare, that we begin taking Yahweh's word seriously, that we begin fully committing ourselves to him. Because again, if not, we're wasting our time and we're wasting his time. And this is, again, why Yahshua said that if you're hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, we also know that this is when many believers will be taken into the wilderness, this great tribulation, this woman, Yahweh's people, will be taken into the wilderness for a time, times and a half a time, time one year, times two years, half a time, a half a year, three and a half years. It's Revelation 12. So, as we see from the word, seven years is an important point from a prophetic perspective. Seven years. Now, as we see in Genesis 41, verse 33, all this happened for a reason. And we also see that Joseph was prospered and promoted in a great way. So, let's continue with the story here. Genesis 41, 33 through 44. So says, now, uh, now, therefore, let Pharaoh look at a man discreet and wise. And notice here, he doesn't say, pick me, I'm ready. He, he provides wisdom to Pharaoh of what Pharaoh should be looking for, but he doesn't volunteer. He doesn't say, pick me. He, say, he doesn't say, I'm the best person for this position. He says, now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a wise, discreet, uh, discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint the officials over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn or grain. Corn, by the way, is not native, not corn as we think of, is grain. That's what, that's what it is when you see in Scripture. Old King James got that a bit wrong. As grain, not corn. Under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for a store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is a man? 
in whom the spirit of Elohim is, he recognized again that this, there was something very special about Joseph. He realized that Yahweh's Ruach, that his spirit, was within this man. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as Elohim hath showed you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. What a position, what a promotion here for this man. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his head or foot in the land of Egypt. So here we see, because Joseph was able to interpret these dreams from Pharaoh, that he was blessed. And also, Pharaoh recognized, he saw the manifestation, the evidence of Yahweh's Holy Spirit. Because of this, Joseph placed him over all of Egypt. He gave him authority that was unparalleled only to Pharaoh himself. Let's stop here for just a moment and consider the blessings that we have read through this man's life. As we know, Joseph was an Israelite. He was a son of Jacob. He was a son of a shepherd. Now, some of you may know that the Egyptians weren't real favor, favorable to shepherds or to Israelites. And Joseph was both. And yet we find that Joseph was, 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 was uh, prospered in, in a great way. The Egyptians looked down upon Israelites and shepherds, but here we find that this Israelite shepherd was made governor, was made overseer over all the land of Egypt. This is the reason I entitled this message, The Rise and, or The Fall and Rise of Joseph. He, start, he began in a humbled position. But time and time again, he rose to power. He rose to power in the house of Potiphar. He rose to power in the prison. He rose to power within the land of Egypt. One of the greatest empires of the ancient world. Joseph, this, this Israelite, this nobody, rose to power, and he rose to power because, again, he was prospered, and Yahweh was with him, and he did the right thing. And we also see here Joseph's plan for the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. In the seven years of plenty, Egypt would hold back and store a fifth part, or 20%, for the famine to come. This grain would be used, again, during the seven years of famine, as we know from the story, this plan saved the Egyptians. It also saved many of the neighboring nations of that area from starvation. As a believer, I, see, I, I believe that we see an important lesson here. We see a lot of reasons in this nation and in this world, again, to be concerned, to be alarmed. Very legitimate, very good reasons to be concerned. For this reason, I believe, like Joseph, it's prudent that we prepare 
for hard times to come. I don't know when these times will come. I don't know if it's going to be this year, next year, a few years. But believe you me, there are coming hard times upon this world. And I believe it's prudent, I believe it's wise, I believe it's discreet that we, as believers, we prepare for these times to come. If we're not already doing it, I believe that it's time that we begin storing food and water, that we begin storing supplies. I do that. I believe that's important. This is common sense for me. As people, we need to be prepared if our times come upon this nation and the world. It doesn't even have to be the end. You know, only in modern times have we stopped preparing. In the ancient world, this was common practice because nobody knew in the ancient world what would come tomorrow. So everybody prepared back then. But only in, only in recent times do we not prepare. Where I believe it's wise as we see the days of evil coming upon us that we, like Joseph, that we prepare, that we have food and water, that we have supplies, essential supplies in store if hard times come upon us. It's important to remember that while Israel was exempt from most of the plagues of Egypt, they did suffer from the first few plagues. I believe it was the first four plagues that the Israelites suffered from, along with the Egyptians. I believe we find the same scenario during the tribulation. From all accounts, many of us will suffer along with this world during the first few plagues that will fall upon this earth, during the four horsemen, during the time of famine and disease and other plagues we find as prudent, as wise that we store up, that we're prepared for this time. I want to move on now and read about what happened between Joseph and his brothers. For me, this is the highlight of, of this story. So this is uh, Genesis 42, and we're going to read 1 through 10. Genesis 42, 1 through 10. It says, And when Joseph saw that there was corn or grain in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Get you down to thither and buy from, uh, for us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn or grain in Egypt, but Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest preadventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth, fulfillment of his dreams. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come you? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, You are spies. You see the nakedness of the land, you are come. And they said unto him, Nay, or no, my sovereign. But to buy food are they servants come. We are all one man's sons, and our true men, thy servants, are no spies. We find that Jacob's, 
Jacob here sent his sons, his other sons, to Egypt to buy some grain. There was famine also within the land of Canaan at this point. It wasn't just the land of Egypt. When his brothers arrived in Egypt and came before Pharaoh, what happened? Whereas Joseph dreamed many years before that, they came and they bowed their faces to the ground. They bowed before Joseph. As you may recall, this is what Joseph saw within his dreams, the dream of the grain of the sheaf and of the celestial bodies bowing themselves before Joseph. We find this dream coming to pass, coming true here, when they stood and bowed before Joseph. We see that his brothers did not recognize him. At this point, Joseph would have looked very different. He was dressed as an Egyptian. I'm assuming he was speaking the native language. And we know that he was also using an interpreter. We also know that many years had passed, many years, from the last time his brothers saw Joseph. And we see here that his brothers did not recognize him. And they came before him, and again, they bowed themselves to the ground in humble obedience to this man. We see here Joseph accusing his brothers of being spies to spy out this plenteous land. Because, again, all the other lands were were sparse. There was nothing to be found. But Egypt had food. Egypt had food supplies and overabundance, I'm sure, because of Joseph. Where they assured him that they were not spies. They said that they were all brothers from one man from the land of Canaan. But again, we find here that Joseph did not believe them. Now, what happened after this? Or we know from the story to prove that they were not spies, Joseph demanded that they bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin. Now, as we'll see later, this was not a, something that their father was pleased with. Now, before this, though, they were all thrown in prison for three days. After the three days, we know that Joseph gave grain to his brothers. They went back to their uh, father in the land of Canaan, but we also know that Joseph kept Simeon back, kept him in prison. Now, unknown to his brothers, Joseph placed the money that they gave for the grain back in their bags, and they realized this. They, they explained this and everything that happened to their father Jacob. Now, Jacob was unhappy. Jacob was very unhappy. He was unhappy that they disclosed that they had another brother because, again, Jacob was concerned that he would lose this other brother, brother Benjamin. But begrudgingly, we know from the story that he allowed them to again go back, bring Benjamin, and go back to fetch Simeon and buy grain. Now, we also know that he gave double the money. He also gave some of the greatest produce of the land, what they had, to again pay for the grain. When they arrived, we find that Joseph prepared a meal for his brothers. And he gave, we know, Benjamin five times what he gave to his other brothers. After this, he gave his brothers additional grain, sent them away, and sent them back to their father the land in the land of Canaan. Now, heading home, they were stopped. They were stopped by the Egyptians. Again, unknown to his brothers, Joseph placed one of the Egyptian cups within Benjamin's bag. Before they found the cup, it was agreed upon that 
whoever had the cup would die. The brothers thought they were safe because they knew they had not stolen the cup. And yet, as we know from the story, the cup was found in Benjamin's bag. After this happened, we find that Joseph asked them why they had done such an evil, despicable, awful thing. His brothers explained the situation, begged, begged Joseph. Explain to Joseph, look, if you do this, if you keep back Benjamin, if you kill Benjamin, that their father is going to die, that this is going to kill their father. This is going to bring their father down to the grave if you do this grievous thing against this, this young man. Now, some have asked, why did Joseph put his brothers through this hardship? Why not just simply reveal himself at the time of purchase, the initial purchase? Why not embrace them initially? Why go through these games? Why go through these maneuvers? Why deceive them in the way he did? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly. I, the Bible doesn't explain this, doesn't give purpose or motivation for this. I believe Joseph wanted his brothers maybe to go through some of the same suffering he went through. I believe maybe... Also, maybe they wanted, he wanted to force them, realizing the wrong they had did through what he did to him by doing what he did to Simeon and, and also to Benjamin. Some also speculate that maybe this was simply to test their integrity. Maybe there was a lack of trust still. Who knows? Maybe it was all three. But we find that he put them through the ringer. He put them through multiple tests, multiple struggles, multiple challenges, But in the end, we find one of the greatest examples of forgiveness. And for me, this is the pinnacle of Joseph's stories. This is is why it's here, in my opinion. This story of reconciliation, this story of forgiveness. So let's read about this. We find this in Genesis 45. Genesis 45. And I'm going to read 1 through 11. Then, Jacob's, then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him. Well, Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me Hither, for Elohim did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there, are, there shall neither be caring, er, uh, near earing nor harvest. And Elohim sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but Elohim. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, 
and sovereign of all his house and ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Haste you and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith my son Joseph, Elohim made me sovereign of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are seven years of famine, lest thou or thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. You know, this is such a powerful example. There are so many lessons within this story, but none greater than their forgiveness showed by Joseph to his brothers. Think about this for just a moment. Consider what his brothers did. From a very, very early, early age, there was envy, there was bitterness, there was hatred between Joseph and his brothers. And you know that had to be hard growing up with that hatred and that bitterness. And then they threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. Because of that, he was brought into Potiphar's house. He prospered for a while and was falsely accused, thrown into prison. He sat in prison for a few years. Think about all of that. All of the suffering and all of it was because of what his brothers did. None of it was his fault. It was the fault of his brothers. It was the envy. It was the jealousy. It was the hatred. It was the bitterness shown by his brothers. Besides for Yahshua and his sacrifice, I don't believe there's a greater example of forgiveness that I know of when you consider what we find here. After all this, after all that he did, after all that he suffered, we find here that Joseph forgave his brothers. I hope we realize, I hope we understand the, the powerful, the, the enormous example we find here through this story. As believers, I pray that we would learn something from Joseph's willingness to forgive his brothers and the evil they showed him. You know, over the years, I've done a lot of counseling. I do a lot of counseling. And I've seen a lot of bitterness. I've seen a lot of animosity between brothers and sisters in the faith. And believe you me, I don't know of any transgression like Joseph suffered. If Joseph was able to forgive his brothers, I want you to take this to heart. We as believers should be able to forgive our brothers and sisters here. Does that make sense? We should be able to forgive our brothers and sisters. If Joseph was willing and able to recognize and forgive in 20 plus years of counseling and being within the ministry, it's hard for me to think of an example of somebody who suffered more than Joseph, and yet we see that Joseph forgave. If Joseph forgave, we can forgive. So I pray that you would learn. If there's nothing else you learn in this message, that is 
what I want you to bring away from this message. If you are wronged, and believe me, Joseph was wronged, I want you to learn what it means to forgive. We also see here that Joseph understood the bigger picture. He understood the bigger picture. He told his brothers that the things he had suffered was not because of them. Even though it was because of them, he would not have been in the mess he was in if not for his brothers. But he realized this was of Yahweh's will. This was divine providence. That Yahweh wanted him there for this moment and for this reason to save life. He understood that this was Yahweh who allowed him to be sold into slavery. It was Yahweh who allowed Potiphar's wife to accuse him of of inappropriate behavior. It was Yahweh who allowed these challenges to come upon him. And it was Yahweh who prospered him. And it was Yahweh who made him overseer over all the land of Egypt. He understood this. He understood and he saw the bigger picture. We should see the bigger picture. Sometimes we get so caught up in the minutia of this life. We get so concerned about stupid things without realizing the important things. And listen, very few things are important. One of my favorite books is a book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, says a preacher, all is vanity. All is vanity. This man had everything. This man had everything a man could ever want or need. And yet, in the end, he realized all of it was worthless, had no value, it was all vain, that the thing we should be seeking and pursuing is from above, not from below. And again, I think Joseph understood that. He understood that his fallen rise was for a purpose. And again, that purpose was to deliver lives, to to be there, to save this grain, to save the people of Egypt and also the surrounding nations. You know, sometimes in life... Things happen. In those moments, we don't understand why. And I can't, you know, some people come to me and say, why did this happen? Why did that? I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is that we can't allow those moments to define us. We can't allow those moments to allow us to become bitter. We can't allow those moments to cause us discouragement, to pull us away. And I've seen many of that. I've seen people blame the faith for uh, the, the, the uh, Yahweh for, for bad things. Listen, bad things happen. I'm sure Joseph at one point or many points asked, why? Why is Yahweh doing this? Why is Yahweh allowing me to be thrown into this pit? Why is Yahweh allowing me to be sold to these Ishmaelites? Why is Yahweh allowing me to be sold to Potiphar? Why is Yahweh allowing me to to be falsely accused? Why is Yahweh allowing me to be thrown into prison? But he never became bitter. Because in the end he realized that this was Yahweh's will. You know, I believe we need to consider the examples when we're going through trials and tribulations. Joseph is a wonderful example of What we must do as believers, it's not just a nice story. There's a lot of lessons here. Lessons of how we we should respond, how we should behave, the integrity we should be showing, the true message of prosperity. Not this health, wealth, wealth, and prosperity junk we hear online. Not this do nothing at all and Yahweh's going to bless us because he loves us so much that he just wants to pour his blessings upon us. No. What we find in scripture is when we follow him, when we do his way, when we are faithful to him, he prospers us. 
So that's the message or prosperity we find within Scripture. We need to consider this when we're going through trials and tribulations of life. For one, we know that trials build character and character builds hope for Yahweh's kingdom. We need to remember that. You know, as we've seen from the story, there are so many lessons, so many wonderful lessons we learn from this man. We can learn from his sufferings. We can also learn from his achievements and how he was blessed and prospered. So I pray that we apply the many lessons of, of Joseph, that we live a life that maybe we follow in his example, along with Yahshua's example, of course, and live a life that this incredible man did so that we're prospered, we're blessed of Almighty Yahweh. And may Yahweh bless you.